Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. Along with Chris Lee, I'm Kevin Ingram, a special Thanksgiving edition of our uh, podcast this week. Chris, how you doing, man? Good. Thankful for basketball, uh, hopefully. Hopefully there's going to be basketball, and if there is, I will be very thankful. Yes, I will be thankful, too. I was thinking that, too, before we got started here. I just uh, just want to see some hoops. I want to call some hoops, and uh, hopefully we'll get to see some of that this week. And I guess that's where we start. To play or not to play has kind of been uh, how it's gone these last few days, especially as we've gotten closer to the actual start of the season, which was scheduled for Wednesday seen all sorts of cancellations and, and things rearranged and teams pulling out. And uh, some of it involves the University of Tennessee. Uh, the Vols were uh, supposed to host their own volunteer classic, but that got uh, called off due to COVID testing and uh, positive tests, which included head coach Rick Barnes, who by all accounts is doing okay. And uh, we hope Coach Barnes will make a speedy recovery. But uh, just in the last couple hours here before we went on, They've also had to cancel their uh, appearance in the Jimmy V Classic, which was going to be up in Indianapolis against Gonzaga. And then they were, they were going to move up the road and play against Notre Dame. So both those games are off the schedule now. They're going to open uh, sometime in early to mid-December against Cincinnati. So uh, that those are some pretty nice games that are, that are off the schedule for Tennessee. And, man, you go through and you look at some of the others that have been canceled as well. The Justin Reed Ole Miss Classic canceled. They canceled their first four games. Uh, they're on pause until December 7th. Kermit Davis is another one who's tested positive for COVID. Uh, the Florida UMass uh, Lowell game in Bubbleville up in uh, Connecticut has been called off. They, they've had several that have been uh, seen the, the plug pulled. So it's, it's more like which ones are actually on at this point as opposed to all the ones that have been uh, canceled. But it's, it's just a big mess, and it just feels like it's a total work in progress here. Well, you and I were joking before we did the podcast that I wrote up a list of 10 games I couldn't wait to watch for our newsletter on Wednesday. And between the time I finished it and got it to our publisher, Chris Dorch, one of the games gets canceled in the meantime and probably a couple more since then. You were doing work for games you were going to call. A couple of those, the plug got pulled on or you got pulled out of for whatever reason. So like, I have a feeling like we half the stuff we talk on the podcast <laughs> might be obsolete by the time we end it. The way <laughs> right, we're going. right. I know. And I, and I put together this little schedule, and I will uh, say this is all highly subject to change. Games uh, still on for Wednesday: Kentucky, Moorhead, uh, Missouri against Oral Roberts, Arkansas against Mississippi Valley State, Alabama, Jacksonville State, Mississippi State versus Clemson, and then openers as well for Georgia and South Carolina. On Thursday, you got Ole Miss against Jackson State. You got Auburn against St. Joe's down in Fort Myers. You got LSU against SIU Edwardsville in a tournament in St. Louis. On Friday night, Vanderbilt and Valparaiso, Auburn against number one Gonzaga. Uh, Kentucky, Detroit, I can scratch that one off because that one's not happening. Uh, Tennessee, VCU, or that one has been canceled. So is Tennessee, VCU, Florida, Virginia, Ole Miss, Arkansas State. All those games have been canceled. So uh, the, the schedule, again, is, is very much a work in progress. Well, and if I can take us on a sidebar here, we all – gear towards the tournament, right? Yeah. I mean, there's bracketology preseason, a couple – I mean, it's it's what dominates the sport is who's going to make the tournament, who's going to be a one seed, who's in, who's out. And I see all these games that we want to see between these big teams, these top 25 teams that are playing each other out of their leagues. Like, one I was really looking forward to seeing was Baylor and Arizona State. Well, that one got nixed. Yeah. So, like, how are we going to make these determinations in March – we're only seeing schools play within their leagues. Are we just going to go back to, let's see, this is the default of what we thought about Kentucky and Tennessee 
preseason and we thought they were better than Michigan State or whoever. Yeah. Um, and then see how they do in conference and just judge based on our perception of how the leagues stack up. That to me is the big thing is how does this get sorted out in March or, or April or May or whenever they're going to play the tournament? I know that, that is going to be the hard part because in the end, I don't know how many actual non-conference games are going to get played. It may be a mostly conference schedule and a lot of, I've seen quite a few national people suggest that, hey, they should just forget non-conference, go straight into conference play, use maybe a, a five-year measure of how the program is stacked up, which isn't necessarily fair because the teams change so much from year to year. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, how do you make the case for NCAA bids and, and also for seeding for teams that might be on the bubble or, you know, a, a mid-major team that's going to have a really nice team and have a good year? What do you do with them? You know, when you yeah. look at their conference schedule versus, you know, what a, a team in a major conference would play, it's, it's going to be hard to judge all those things and the metrics just aren't going to be what they normally are. Well, and let me give you an example. I know this is going to be an SEC-centered show, but we're sitting here in OVC country, right, right mm-hmm. in the middle of it. And there's three teams at the top of the league that I think we all think are intriguing, Belmont, Murray State, and Austin P. Sure. Three teams that, frankly, uh, you know, if any of those get in, have a shot maybe to win a game. And we had some debate on who goes where. And and I was really looking forward to seeing, okay, what does an Austin P or somebody do outside of the league what happens if all those three of those teams are, say, 14-2? and two, You know, the champion yeah. gets in, right? But what if those other teams are worth at large bids? It's just going to be a guessing game. And if you do something like past rankings or something, the OVC is going to be a one-bid league when maybe it could have been a two- or three-bid league. Those are just the problems that I see as the thorniest ones to sort out. I think the power teams will probably get favorable treatment because they're a known commodity. But I feel for those teams that are a couple of steps down the ladder uh, that might have historic years and we'll never know whether they were deserving of it at large or not if things keep going the way they're going. One thing we do know that at all costs, at all possible, the NCAA is going to have a tournament. Do you feel like you're doing the right thing by trying to have the whole thing at one site we, we presume is going to be Indianapolis? I guess. I mean, it, who knows anymore, right, Kevin? Yeah. You've got a virus that's coming out. I have a friend who worked on the team that developed it, and the prognosis for that is that it's going to be 95% effective. My buddy said, I, I think that might be conservative. So the hope is that maybe they've made these decisions that turn out to be over-cautionary, yeah. uh, if that's a term, I, I hope. But who knows, right? I mean, my guess is they made the right decision. I think it's going to be very interesting because that's a basketball-crazy area portion of the country. And um, I don't know. I, I think it would be cool as a media guy to be up there in the middle of all that, mm-hmm. all that and see how it goes down. Yeah, I've I've sort of had the thought for a long time that maybe they should have the Final Four in Indianapolis every year. It's centrally located. It's a place where people care about basketball. Lucas Oil Stadium is a perfect place to have it, and it's it's a really great atmosphere and a great area around there where you can you know there's a lot of stuff for people to do. So, um, you know, ha- having the whole thing in in that area probably makes sense. And I imagine they have the buildings and venues and and all the support infrastructure that you need to to get it done. Even though having all, you know, 68 teams there or 64 or whatever it's going to be is going to be a whole lot different than just having the four teams up there that they normally do. So we'll see how that goes uh, whenever it happens. Rick Pitino says it should happen in May. It's still on for March and early April right now, but uh, we'll find out. 
Big story out of the SEC as well, Chris, is Auburn. Self-imposing sanctions, including a postseason ban for this season. What do you think that says about how bad these uh, allegations might be from the NCAA? Well, I was reading some stuff from the Auburn side of things back when this first got alleged. And I think the point, um, and I don't know if it's in Auburn's defense, but I think a lot of the stuff that Chuck Person was doing was actually designed to get kids um, to the pros quicker, which doesn't really help your program, right? Yeah. Um, Which makes it sort of an odd thing. I mean, I know it violated rules, but do the offenses really help Auburn? I don't know. And I guess that's the interesting thing about Auburn getting charged is this a a thing where everybody just says, Hey, you know, this is, this is an acceptable outcome for everybody. I mean, were there worse things that the NCAA could have pursued and didn't, I don't know, but it's just a weird thing because this is one of the few cases that it appears that what got the school in trouble wasn't actually helping the school win games. Should schools even be allowed to self-sanction you think and hope for leniency from the NCAA saying, Hey, look what we've already done. And sometimes to me, it's it's a little bogus because they can look at that season and say, well, we're probably not going to the NCAA tournament anyway, so how much does a postseason ban really hurt? To me, it's one of those things, it's a sliding scale. Because I think if it's if it's something that's a slap on the wrist thing, maybe that wasn't intentional, okay. Um, you know, if the school's willing to work with the NCAA and cooperate, because some of the enforcement depends on that, right? Yeah. I, I say yes, but to me, if it's a – if it's a serious thing that's requiring loss of a lot of scholarships in postseason, I don't know. It tends to me to take the sting out of the offense and make it more likely that people repeat if you let them sort of pick their punishment. Sure. So to me, it's a thing where if it's not a big deal, maybe. If it's a bigger deal, I'm not a big fan of it. Along with Chris Lee, I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. Chris, uh, over the weeks with you and, and with uh, Chris Dorch and with Blake Lovell, we've, we've previewed pretty much everybody in the league. The best I can tell, the only teams we have not previewed are the two in the state of Tennessee, uh, Vanderbilt and UT. So let's uh, talk about the Commodores for a moment. Uh, I guess one of the big questions is, can they have better luck than they have the last two years in terms of injuries? Last season, they went 11-21. and 21. They were 3-15 and 15 in the SEC uh, we saw Aaron Neesmith and Saban Lee chosen in the NBA draft in the last few weeks. Dylan DeSue, Scottie Pippen Jr., Max Evans, Cleavon Brown, they make a pretty nice nucleus uh, with the experience they have. Jordan Wright, I thought, improved a lot last season. Brayley Albert played uh, quite a bit down the stretch. And they have some transfers who I know they feel like can help. So how does it all sort of roll together when you look at year two under Jerry Stackhouse? Well, the weird thing is that Vanderbilt won three conference games the last two years. And yet players got better enough to the point that they went pro early. I mean, if you rewind a little bit and just let careers play out and people don't leave early, <laughs> Vanderbilt could be heading into the season uh, with a, a backcourt that includes Darius Garland, Aaron Neesmith, Saban Lee, um, and Scottie Pippen Jr., which would be probably the best in the country anywhere. Uh, but that's, of course, not how it happened. And, and Saban Lee got drafted 38th last week. Neesmith went 14th. And, of course, Garland went high a year before. So, I don't know. It's a weird situation to where this team has not had a lot of success. Uh, The guys that you thought would be around, Neesmith, when he came to Vanderbilt, was a guy that people said, hey, this is the kind of kid who's really smart. He values the experience. He's going to be here four years and maybe be our all-time leading scorer. Well, he's, he's gone after two, and he never won a conference game. Not necessarily his fault, but it's just how it went. So, the interesting thing about them this year, Kevin, is I think they've got two really good players. 
uh, and Scotty Pippen Jr., who made the coaches' second team All-SEC team, and Dylan DeSue, who's a kind of a stretch four who is going to shoot a lot of threes for them. And mm-hmm. I think everybody thought was going to be their freshman uh, or their best freshman last year. It ended up being Pippen instead. But that's going to be a team where they build around those two kids. And when I talked to Jerry Stackhouse for the book, uh, he was pretty clear. We're going to let Dylan shoot away. We think he's a good shooter. We want him to maximize his attempts. And he's got a good guy to set him up in Pippen, who's really got elite floor vision. He's smooth with the ball. Uh, I saw some leaked film footage of, of scrimmages. He's taking the ball to the rim and dunking on people and doing things he didn't do a year ago. I think that's a kid who out of high school was a three-star kid that when I talked to Bryce Drew when he was recruiting him, he thought he's the kid who will come in and back up, but he's not ready to play right away. We got to campus under Jerry Stackhouse. I think was better than anybody thought. Sure. And now it's up to those two kids and a cast of some parts elsewhere with some veterans like Cleavon Brown and Max Evans to lead the way. And, of course, they got a transfer from Notre Dame to DJ Harvey. But I think it's really those two sophomores and Sue and Pippen who I think have a chance to be terrific players for them this year. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that that's Jerry Stackhouse wants to see out of Pippen is better defense, and, and that, that would make a difference too. Yeah, you talk about those transfers. They just also had Isaac McBride, who uh, was at Kansas for a short time. He's going to be eligible to play this year. Uh, have uh, Tyron Lawrence and Trey Thomas, freshman guards, who will uh, be part of it too. So year two under Jerry Stackhouse coming up for the Commodores. They open up against uh, Valparaiso on Friday night. What I was joking was the Bryce Drew Invitational over at uh, Memorial Gym. <laughs> uh, for Tennessee, we talked about their schedule situation. Uh, at some point, they will get the season underway. Uh, they'll now open against Cincinnati. But, you know, Chris, one of the things you wonder about this team they were picked to win the SEC. They were picked top ten nationally. They have expectations. Can they live up to all this? You look at their projected starters. It looks pretty good. You got Santiago Vescovi in his second year. Josiah Jordan James, Eve Pons, uh, John Fulkerson, C.J. Anasicki, the uh, grad transfer. That that's a nice starting five for Tennessee. And you wonder which of the newcomers will make the biggest impact for Rick Barnes's team. Yeah, we have them fifth nationally. I think some people may have them a little bit lower. I think we're right on these guys um, because th- the teams that have a lot of talent, a lot of times that underachieve, and you've seen this out of Kentucky, right? Um, sometimes you bring in a bunch of new talented kids. doesn't all gel right away. Well, they've got a front court contingent of Pons and Fulkerson that I think is going to be one of the best in the country. So you start with veteran leadership and an inside presence right there. You've got a point guard who was kind of a wild card a year ago in Santiago Vescovi, but he's a very talented kid. And there's a kid named Keon Johnson that they brought in as a freshman that I've seen play a couple times because he's in our backyard. Kid is tremendously talented. Now, he had some issues with keeping his cool. A game that I saw him in, he got ejected from. (laughs) But but there was no doubt about the talent, right? I mean, you you go in the gym and immediately – you look at him and say, this this is a kid that if it breaks right is probably an NBA talent. And sure, sure enough, I think Jonathan Gibbony came out with his draft board today as we speak, and he was the, the seventh-rated player on the board for the 2021 draft. Really premature, but I think that also tells you what the basketball community thinks of him. So you've got a couple of kids who can really handle the ball, and you've got two really elite players in the front court. Most teams are lucky to have one. I don't think we've overshot the mark on Tennessee. Has uh, Chris Dorch finished his piece on John Fulkerson yet? <laughs> I think he did while we started. Uh, that was, what, about 6,000 words? <laughs> it was something like that. He did a wonderful job yeah. on it. It was awesome. 
but you know, I, I guess when it comes down to Tennessee, my, my question is, can their guards be improved enough t- for them to be a real threat in March? I mean, the front court, you know, you've got it. And Fulkerson's really good. Uh, Eve Pons is maybe the best athlete in the SEC. They, they got plenty of, uh, firepower up front, but, you know, guard wise, can they do it? I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think they are legit. And, you know, Rick Barnes, Chris Dorch and I were talking about this the other day. If anybody thought he was just going to come in and, and Tennessee was going to be a, you know, a, a trip to the you know retirement village for him and, and just make a bunch of money on the way out, it's not been the case at all. He's he's really done a good job there. It almost seems like he, he's revived by having these good teams. You know, if you're Texas, would you maybe like a do-over on that? The guy went to 16 NCAA tournaments in 17 years. I mean, it really – was hard to believe that he got cast aside the way he did in hindsight. Uh, but yeah. You know, and then see, that's the other thing coaching Rick Barnes has gotten as much out of his kids as anybody in the league since he's been at Tennessee. Um, you know, the question, I think to put it a different way on their backcourt, those kids are young yeah. and they're kind of flashy and Vescovi had some issues with turnovers a year ago. And again, we've established that Keon Johnson may have some judgment issues to work through the talent's undeniable, but I think that's the thing. To me, Kevin, if they take care of the ball, uh, then they end up about where we think they will. Well, Chris, as we uh, we wrap this thing up here, it is Thanksgiving week. What what are your plans as far as your family plans for Thanksgiving? And maybe give me a favorite dish or side dish uh, on Thursday. You know, we are going to go to Hendersonville, which is where my parents live. Um, I, I don't know if we'll be masking up or what we'll be doing. <laughs> uh, this COVID outbreak is um, you know, a, a little dawning, uh, my parents are 77 and we want to make sure they're sure. safe, but I, I've always found the, uh, the candied sweet potatoes with the brown sugar pecans and marshmallows to be a very underrated dish. So, mm. uh, that, that's always the thing when I'm going back for second helpings, uh, is, is at the top of my list. Yeah, for us, we uh, we don't have tons of family around. I think uh, my wife's sister will come over and it'll just be a very small gathering at our house. My thing forever and ever has been the cornbread dressing. My, oh, yeah. My, my grandmother made wonderful dressing, and my wife's cornbread dressing is fantastic. So uh, look forward to that every year. You talk about going back for, for second helpings. It's second and thirds and then the, the next day, too. So that, that's my favorite part of Thanksgiving. I, I can sort of take or leave a, a lot of the other stuff, but that that's the uh, one staple you got to have. Yeah, I think that might be second or third on the list. Ironically, I'm not a big turkey guy. It's it's something I eat. Yeah, I like uh, it okay. Because you're supposed to on Thanksgiving, uh-huh. but to me, uh, I see a lot of other things on the spread that excite me. That's right. More than turkey. Well, we're excited about the uh, the basketball season getting underway. Let's keep our fingers crossed and uh, hopefully have some hoops to uh, actually talk about games and uh, supposed to get started on Wednesday. Chris, great as always. Happy Thanksgiving and uh, appreciate the time, man. Happy Thanksgiving to you. He's Chris Lee. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.